Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. I'm going to teach today starting where we left off last week in Galatians 1. We're going to cover 11 through 24 in... 20 minutes. Actually, it's not going to be that hard uh, because this is a pattern, so to speak, of Paul's revelation and what that revelation created in him. In fact, if you're taking notes, the title of this particular lesson is The Revelation. Paul was given a revelation of Christ. We know this because it's what the Word tells us. In Acts 9, we know that he had a theophany, that is, he had a a revelation of Christ Jesus by Christ Jesus. Jesus showed up where he was and showed himself to him and said, I'm the one that you've been persecuting. Knocked him off his horse and all the stuff happened that, that caused him to realize that he, in fact, has been persecuting the, the true church of Jesus Christ. Amen? So he was given a revelation, which means a supernatural disclosure of truth concerning divine things before unknown, given to the soul by God or Christ through the operation of the Holy Spirit. That's a big way of saying God showed him some stuff by the power of his Holy Spirit about who he was that he didn't know before. And that's what God does to all of us in our salvation. He gives us a divine revelation, a divine understanding of who he is by his Holy Spirit that we've never had before. We see a new piece of him. But I don't want you to think that Paul's revelation was the only revelation he ever got. Paul continued to have revelation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about he was taken up to the third heaven and all the magnificent, beautiful things he saw that were so overwhelming, he couldn't even talk about them. So this revelation, this divine knowledge that he was given was a continual process. And it's a continual process in us. I have a revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he was raised from the dead for my salvation. And because he's been raised from the dead, that I have the hope of eternity too. Amen? That was my initial divine revelation. But let me tell you, every time I open his word, every time I focus on him, there's a bit more revelation to receive. There's a reason why I start almost every service with, give us wisdom and revelation so we might know you better. If you think God doesn't want to be known by you, you don't understand the God that you serve. He wants to be known by you. And if we ask that he show us himself so that we may know him better, that's his will. And according to his will, he hears what we have to pray for. He hears us and answers us according to his will. And so we know that if I ask something of him, he's going to give it to me if it's what he wants me to have. And he wants me to know who he is. I feel like I went a big round circle to say... <laughs> Ask, and you shall receive, in Jesus' name, according to God's will. And all of us want more revelation. The fact of the matter is, Paul got some. And like I told you last week in Galatians, the whole purpose of it, the whole purpose of the letter, is to define the fact that there is no other gospel but the gospel divinely given by Paul. The pure, unadulterated Christ in him crucified, necessary because we are sinners. Gospel. And so he's defending it. Chapters 1 and 2 is a personal defense. Chapters 2 or 3 and 4 is a doctrinal defense. And chapters 5 and 6 are a practical defense. What we should do in response to that, because there's always a hinge between theology and practical application. 
Why would you need to know all this stuff? Why would God expect you to know what he expects you to do if he doesn't expect you to do anything? Everybody should say amen because we should all do something. All right? So that's where Paul's at. Paul has been given revelation, first as a theophany, and then again when he was brought up to the third heaven in chapter 12, so that through that revelation something might happen in him. And let me read this text to you. 11 and 12, just so you know, it's kind of a recap of what we talked about last week. For I would have known, for I would have known you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. We talked about that last week. It's according to God through Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation. What's revelation? It's a divine understanding not previously known by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he was told by the Holy Spirit about Christ Jesus through revelation of Jesus Christ. This is where we're going to start teaching in verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among, among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I had not seen any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And I love these parenthetical statements that Paul makes. He says, now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God, I'm not lying to you. <laughs> He's all, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm telling you the truth. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by the sight of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Amen. Isn't that good? Let me explain to you what he's saying here. He said, let me tell you some stuff. I was given a revelation. Why was Paul given a revelation? Because he was something other than a Christian at some point in his life. You guys have heard me say, and if you haven't, let me tell you, every testimony has a three-part piece to it. It is a three-part statement. I was, but God, I am. I was this horrible thing, but then God showed up, and now I am this thing. Amen? And so Paul starts his testimony this way. And in fact, these three statements are in his testimony as he writes it. In verse 14, it says, and I was. And then in verse 15, but when God. And then in verse 20, I am. So this is a biblical way in which to give our testimony so that people can recognize based on who we were and based on what Christ did, who we are now. The ultimate ideal of our testimony is to show who we are now, what God, God has called us to, our purpose that he has implanted us in us, and our identity for a singular purpose, to glorify himself. Amen? And so this is what he does. This is what he starts doing. In his I was statement, he said, for you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. 
You guys ever have a moment like that? You guys, you guys ever been that guy? Y'all, y'all have heard of me. Y'all, y'all know the former manner of my life. Anybody have a former manner of your life you prefer not to talk about? I do, but you know why I tell it? Because Jesus Christ deserves to be glorified in it. And then he goes on and says, I was infamous. He didn't say that specifically, but he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. I'm sorry, in verse 13. And how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it and was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So he said, I was infamous. Do y'all know who I was? If you'll read the Bible in Acts 7, 58, it says this. When they had driven him out in the, in the persecution, the death, the martyrdom of the first Christian, that is Stephen, Paul was present. It says, when they had driven him out, that is Stephen of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul is Paul. So in regard to this statement, not only was Saul or Paul present during the first martyrdom, but it appears as though he were in charge or overseeing the persecution, the death of the first Christian martyr. Could you imagine preaching the gospel after you were responsible for killing the first Christian that was killed because they were a Christian? You know what God has to do in you to set that aside? What God must have miraculously done in your life to cause you to say, I was, but I'm not that anymore. And then still be able to preach a gracious, loving, kind God to people that you, that you intentionally set out to kill and destroy? Because that's what he did. He, didn't, he wasn't just present at, at his death. It says this. He said he was a terrorist. He went around finding people with warrants in hand to drag people out of their house, Christians out of their house, to bring them back to Damascus, to the synagogue, that they might be persecuted, that they may be tried. This was a theocracy. The Judaistic lifestyle back then was a theocracy, which means the government was run by the Jewish tradition. And so if you broke Jewish tradition, you were breaking the law and could be persecuted according to the law. So he was given rule or warrant to drag people out of their house to Damascus in chains and put them on trial and potentially kill them. I could prove this to you. In Acts 9, 1 and 2, it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters, that is, warrants and legal authority, from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way is Christianity because they had yet to start calling people that believed in Jesus Christians. They just called it the way. Both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He wouldn't be satisfied until everybody that believed in Christ was persecuted and stopped. This is who Paul was. He was infamous, and he knew it. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he calls himself a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor towards Christ. I want, to, I, really, I want you to soak that in for a reason I'm going to get to in just a moment. He was present at the first martyr's death. 
He had warrants to draw Christians out of their house. He himself called himself a blasphemer before God, a persecutor of the Christian faith, and a violent aggressor. He called himself the foremost of sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15, the least of the apostles in 1 Corinthians 15.9, and even least of the saints in Ephesians 3.8. Now I want you to understand that he's making sure he qualifies himself as the worst of every kind of group. He says, I am least of the apostles. Out of all the apostles, I'm the worst. Out of all the saints, out of all the sinners, I'm the, I'm the worst. Of all the saints, all those that have been given their life to the Lord, I am the worst. I am the worst. This is who Paul knew he was. Why was he this way? He was this way because he was zealous for his truth. He says, I can t he said, uh, I was extremely zealous for my ancestral tradition. Isn't that an issue for most of us? That we're zealous, but we're zealous over our tradition. We're not zealous over what the Word of God said and the revelation that we got. We're zealous over what our mama told us to be zealous of. We're Christian because our grandmama was Christian. And we're going to defend the things our grandparents taught us, even if we can't prove them in Scripture. I'll tell you, when I first started the church, there were things that I, I was taught that I believed that I had to go back through and confirm in Scripture before I taught them from up here because I couldn't count on my tradition to have told me the truth. I can only count on the Word of God to tell me the truth. The problem is we, we, we determine that that which is subjective truth should be used as objective truth. Objective truth is true no matter what. Subjective truth is subject truth, subject to our opinion. Like this is a podium, is objective truth. Nothing's going to make that false. This is a podium. This is a place from which I teach. Amen? Now, this is a podium where the best sermons on earth are preached. That's subjective to my opinion, right? Because I'm, best I could tell, a C-plus preacher on average. So... And I, I, which I'm fine with. My pastor told me one time, he said, don't be a great preacher. Be a consistently good preacher because if you can be a consistently good preacher, you'll be a great preacher. So anyway, objective versus subjective truth. He believed his truth. And his truth was based on Judaic tradition. Which meant two things. One, Judaic tradition saw themselves as the persecuted not as revelation of the Christ that would be persecuted. Example, in Isaiah 53, where it talks about the suffering servant. They saw themselves as the suffering servant, when in fact they weren't the suffering servant as much as that was a prophetic utterance of Isaiah concerning the coming Christ Jesus, that he was the suffering servant, that by his stripes we would be healed. Amen? That and the king that they saw coming, the Messiah that was supposed to save them, they viewed as the Messiah that was coming to bring an earthly kingdom to them, to overthrow their oppressor. Not to destroy the kingdom of darkness, which is what we see in Christ Jesus and establish his kingdom on earth, which is what we see in Christ Jesus eventually. So they had a Judaic understanding and based his truth on that truth. So he was, he was infamous and he was incredibly zealous. Why do I spend all my time talking about this? Because you were too. 
You were infamous in the eyes of God. People are all, man, I ain't never really done nothing that bad. I don't care if you haven't physically sinned in your whole life, which I guarantee you have. You're still infamous. You're still in divine rebellion to a perfectly holy God. Amen? My I am story consists of drunkenness, whoremonging, I guess about the best way to say it. Fornication, probably a better way to say it. Fighting, acts of violence. I was a horrible person. And people celebrated my horribleness. Matter of fact, a lot of times people still celebrate how horrible I was. I went to the academy last week just to stop by and see some of my old buddies. And they didn't talk about the gym that they know now. They only wanted to talk about the gym they did know. But because they knew the gym that I was, I could tell them the gym that I am, and God can receive the glory for it. You have to know what your I was story is so that you can eventually get to what God did so that you are who you are story. So that God may be ultimately glorified. It's okay if you're the worst sinner above all sinners. If you're the worst saint above all saints. If you're the worst apostle of all apostles. It doesn't matter. Christ redeemed you, removed your sin as far as from the east to the west. And you stand now on holy ground, capable and hopefully willing to declare that you had a but God moment. And we've all had one if we know Christ Jesus. And this is exactly where he goes. He starts in verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. That's the entirety of his but God moment. But how big is that? I'm going to read it again. But God. Can we celebrate the but God moments in our life? Man, I know I can. My but God moment, I can go to the seat where I gave my life to the Lord. I can go into the room where I first walked in at the beginning of that service, didn't care a thing about Jesus or anybody that knew anything about Jesus. And there I sat while my pastor gave his testimony. And the Spirit of God fell on me. And I remember thinking, if God can do that for him, he can do that for me. God, would you please do that for me? And there I wept. Never made it to an altar. You're not going to find my name on an altar card anywhere. Because I got saved in my seat. And my life's been forever changed. Why? Because God intervened on my behalf. He set me apart. But what I didn't know is he set me apart from my mother's womb. He had a plan for me from the very beginning of my life. When he was still knitting me together, he had a plan for me and set me apart. And called me by his grace. Not because I deserved it, not because there's something that I did that I accomplished, but because he desired to pour his compassion out on me and reveal his son to me. The only way to heaven, according to the word of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All revelation leads to that objective truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care what you've been told. I don't care how woke your mind is. At the end of the day, I am the way, the truth, and the life is the only true objective truth you can stand on that's going to allow you to see face-to-face God for all eternity. But then he says this. He says, in all that I was, in all that God did, he gave me something. He gave me purpose and identity. Man, that's what I want you, this is what I want you all to hear. 
He has an I am moment. He says this, I intentionally cut 16 in half because it, it needs to be. He said to reveal his son in me. That's that I gave my life to the Lord. Paul's saying that God through Christ Jesus saved me. But why? Why did God save us? Paul's specific reason why was so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to the apostles who were before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And then he kind of goes through the steps of all the stuff Paul did in the next three years. He said, I was this horrible thing, but God through Christ Jesus called me from my mother's womb to preach the gospel to the Gentiles so that I might return back to Damascus. Damascus is where Paul was infamous. God expects you to go back to your Damascus and tell people your I, am, I was but God I am story. Lebanon is Angel and I's Damascus. When I left Damascus, I never intended to come back here. I never wanted to come back here. I've told you guys before, tongue-in-cheek, that everybody that hates me lives here. But you know what? So many of those people needed to see that the gym they knew isn't the gym that is. And so he sent me here to show them that. Why? For this purpose. But only they kept hearing. Can I, can I, I can't count the number of people that have sat in this room for one reason. Because they heard Jim Kubik was preaching and they didn't believe it. And a lot of them stayed. You know why? Because Jim Kubik used to be half crazy. No, Jim Kubik was crazy. Infamous. Determined to believe his own truth. Which was good, was good enough. And so people came here because they heard that Jim Kubik was preaching. And they, they didn't believe it. He said, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us, he who wants parties, who wants he who once chased women, who he once drank all the time. When I say that, guys, I mean, I would, I'd sober up long enough to go to work. And as much as shame as I am to say this, there was a time I had to call my lieutenant and tell him I wasn't feeling well and I had to go home because I was in my patrol car drunk. That's the Jim Kubik that was. But that's not the Jim Kubik who is. But they kept hearing about the one who persecuted them and was preaching the faith. And they were glorifying by God because of me. If I have one prayer over my own life, if I have one prayer over yours, it's that God be glorified because of me. God be glorified because of you. God be glorified in your testimony. The book of Revelation tells us that we overcome by what? The blood of the Lamb and what? Our testimony. You ever think that maybe your testimony helps you overcome. There's times when I'm all, man, I don't even want to do this anymore. And then I tell myself my testimony, and I'm like, I got to. 
I have no other choice but to do it. Look at all these ways God showed out in my life. But it not only helps you, it helps other people too. Because in telling your testimony, people are all like I was, sitting in a sanctuary saying, man, if God was willing to do that for him, maybe he's willing to do that for me too. And can I tell you, he is. He is and wants to. The last thing I'm going to say is I want you to pay attention to the percentages of verses in regard to his testimony. Paul spent two verses talking about who he was. One and a half verses talking about what God did. And the other verses all talking about the, the purpose and identity he gave him. When you give your testimony, be mindful of those percentages. If you spend more time talking about your sin than talking about your Jesus and what your Jesus did for you, then you're glorifying your sin. You're not glorifying God. Tell your sin so that people can recognize who you were. So that when Jesus showed up, you can show them who you are. But focus on the who you are because who you are is what's important. God's forgotten all the rest. That's what I'm thankful for. That I don't have to answer for that craziness. Because I think we all should know how to give our testimony. Because this is an equipping place. I've asked a friend of mine to come up here and give his testimony. He and I have talked a couple of times over the last few weeks. He's never spoken in front of a crowd before in this kind of environment. But I think his testimony is one worth hearing. And it's a great example of how to give that testimony. Joe? Uh, I, know, I know you can't tell by this deep southern accent, but uh, I, was, I was born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, I lived there for 47 years. In 1966, when I was four years old, my mother left my father and my two brothers and me. And for many years, uh, I had no idea where she was, and the family on both sides kept everything secret. And we were not allowed to even talk about her. While growing up, I struggled with issues of abandonment and loss. I had very little self-worth and self-confidence. And by the time I was a teenager, those struggles grew into depression and anxiety. Those emotions had followed me into my first marriage, and my wife really didn't know how to handle it, and neither did I. I still worked. I bought a house, bought cars, attended tech school, had two children, had a few friends, and just tried to live a good, normal life, except I always felt inadequate and unworthy, and was usually self-conscious and very apprehensive in my relationships. I felt incomplete and was depressed nearly every day. I was selfish, introverted, angry, very angry. I cried a lot and I was mostly a loner and a workaholic. And I honestly thought that that would be my fate in life. I could count on one hand the number of good days that I would experience in a year. The effects of those emotions and behaviors contributed to our eventual divorce. And that was a huge and humbling eye-opener for me. And it forced me to take a very serious look at myself. 
So for the first time in my life, I sought help from mental health professionals, and I learned, was diagnosed with clinical depression. And through months of much needed cognitive therapy and medication, I was finally able to enjoy life. I could then say, and I can still say this today, that I can count on one hand the number of bad days that I experience in a year. My life had improved, and I felt happy most of the time, but I was still missing something. And I didn't know what it was then, but I would find out 14 years later. I had attended churches off and on all my life, and in my younger years, I attended out of family commitment. In my adult years, I went to get the feel-goods. I observed religion and mostly followed how to obey rules and be a good person for other people. I knew some stories about Jesus Christ, and I was taught that he was a good man and one part of the Holy Trinity. But I didn't really know him. In early 2010, I moved to Tennessee. I thought I was just moving here to be with Robin, my wife, whom I love very much, and she's the perfect wife for me. Um, but when I look back, I see that God had much more in store for me. After attending Cornerstone Church for about a year, Robin encouraged me to audition for their upcoming Easter musical, The Thorn, which I did, and I landed a part in the play as the lame boy's father. Um, by the way, I didn't have a singing part in the, in the musical, and I, so I won't be qualified to work with uh, Caleb and Nan and the rest of the, of the, of the worship group. But it was during that, those many weeks of rehearsals that I started to really experience the church, genuine Christian people and relationships, the Bible, and especially God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. One night during the first dress rehearsal, I was standing backstage alone in the dark between the tall curtains when Revelation song started to play. All, most of you probably know Revelation song. I felt the Holy Spirit just fill my body and soul with love and grab my attention and give it all to God. I listened intently to the lyrics. And during the second chorus, when they sang these lines, with all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. I'm feeling it again. <laughs> um, I sang along uh, with my hands and tear with tears streaming down my cheeks. And it was in that moment that I gave my life to the Lord. <laughs> Two weeks, yeah. two weeks later, I was baptized by Pastor Maury. Not long after that, I met Pastor Jim and asked to serve as an usher. Outside of church, I became a member of the Christian Motorcyclist Association, and that put me into a very unique ministry, and, and it helped me to deepen my relationship with the Lord even more. A few years later, during a Cornerstone's men's retreat, Cornerstone men's retreat called The Vision, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and after that, I found myself praying and communicating with God at an even deeper level. You know, I still have struggles, 
I'm still faced with the occasional bouts of depression, anxiety, and fear, but they're very short-lived and nowhere near the depth I used to experience because I now have Jesus directing my life. And in the 10 years that I have lived for him, he has restored everything that I had lost, if you only knew. And the emptiness that I used to, has, that I used to feel has been filled with the blessings of God. And not just happiness, but true joy, peace that I've never felt before, and genuine love, and so much grace so much grace. His grace has been an amazing part of my relationship with him. I can say that I, I'm so thankful to Jesus Christ for sacrificing his life to atone for my sins and for healing my brokenness. I have a lot of favorite Bible verses, but I'll close with a verse that I have recited the most over the years, and it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And while I was sitting there waiting, I thought of one more verse that really fit what Pastor was sharing from the Bible. And it's one that I have recently memorized. So forgive me if I, if I get one part of it wrong, but it, that it's from uh, Romans 8, 15 and 16, that says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you received has brought you into an adoption to sonship. And to him we say, Abba, Father. Thank you. I'm proud of you, brother. Let me tell you, we all need to learn to give our testimony because in our testimony, our testimony becomes our spiritual resume. Amen? It's what... It's what qualifies us God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves I was this thing Joel was this thing all of us were something but God showed up and now we're something different amen and to him be the glory